Welcome to the Wolf of Queen Street podcast with Lawrence Lotz. Join Lawrence as he gets together with his friends from all over the world to discuss the latest trends, give some business insights, and add a little South African chaos into your lives. Don't forget to subscribe on Instagram at the Wolf of Queen Street and find us on all of your listening platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor, Google Podcasts, and much more. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Wolf of Queen Street. Welcome back onto the YouTube streets or the audio podcast if you're listening today. Um, just before we get started, today's episode is brought to you by the Dark Heart Grooming Company, skincare for men, um, made by New Zealand, native, organic, honest ingredients. And you can find them on Instagram on the Dark Heart Grooming Co. And the next time you place an order, just add in Wolf 10 at your checkout for 10% discount. But today, I'm joined by James Lachlan, someone that I've been following. We've been in contact the last few months, as I have with most of the people on my show. But something that's really cool about um, James and something we'll likely touch on, he's a seven-time world champion. I'll let you explain to you what he does to be a seven-time world champion. But not just that, he's a leadership and results coach. He's also about just to release a book that we just discussed beforehand. And over the last three months of me just going through and taking a look at, you've met up with Sikopi uh, Kepu, uh, Australian rugby player, one of the greats, Richie McCall, New Zealand's greatest rugby player outside of Dan Carter. You also had an interview with John Key, a previous prime minister. So let me just say, in the last three months, you've done more than what most people do in a lifetime, and you've met some really cool people. But James, welcome to the show, welcome to the show and I'm so grateful to have you today. Lawrence, it's absolutely my pleasure to connect. I love what you do. It's an honor to be uh, to be a part of what you're doing with your mission. Mm-hmm. And I'm very humbled by what you just said. That's a um, very, very humbling word. So yeah, thank you for, for inviting me on. Oh, great. Thanks. Uh, so before we get into the business side and everything else, what you're trying to achieve over the last couple of years, I've got to touch on seven-time world champ. You've got to tell me. <laughs> Well, that's actually one thing. Um, only recently I've started sharing that. So yep. usually we would go to a party and I'd be meeting new people with my wife and I'd be getting to know these people and um, make great friends and reconnect weeks mm-hmm. after. And Lisa was, would, would be that person that would be like, hey, did, did James tell you that he's you know, won the world championships a few times? And like, oh, no, I had no idea. It's something I've always not liked talking about. I like to just keep it under the radar. Yep. And then I started thinking, you know what, with the mission that I'm on right now and with the results coaching and leadership coaching that I'm doing, I think it's important to embrace it. So, you know, I started uh, drumming in a a pipe band, which, uh, you know, Scottish bagpipes and drums, way back when I was nine years old um, in Northern Ireland. And Northern Ireland had its own fair share of problems around religion and conflict, Mm -hmm. still does. And I found it as something really positive to connect me with great people across all religious barriers. And um, I really focused on my drumming. So by the time I was 13, I won my first world title and then the next year I won another one. So I was 14. And then by the time I was 23, I won another five titles. So seven in total. (laughs) um, That's crazy, man. Absolutely crazy. Thank you. (laughs) No, crazy in a good way. (laughs) (laughs) Some people do call me crazy. That's fine. Um, So I think the big thing for me was like, I really understood then that, it was more so that, hey, I wasn't born with any special talent. Mm-hmm. I wasn't born with any extra that somebody else wasn't with. It was just pure hard work, yep. commitment, getting the hours in and believing in myself, having the right mindset. So I started trying to apply that to different things. And probably something that I'm more proud of than winning the world championships um, was coming to New Zealand and working at St. Andrews College yep. and taking their pipe band 
uh, the young the group champs. of kids yep. to the world champs and, and you then won became, and they won it the very yeah. first New Zealanders ever to win it that for me was a more proud moment for sure yeah because they, they placed was a top five or top ten that lost the previous two years or the previous two times that went and then they, they went that year and I read the article actually I went back yesterday okay. and was reading through the article where it was one of the the seniors called I think the, uh, someone back in the school and the the principal whoever took the call could say I had no understanding of what he was trying to say other than he was exceptionally <laughs> excited because they'd won the world champs um, totally. and the kid and the kid on the other side of the call was just like we won and uh, <laughs> that's pretty amazing <laughs> oh, to, me, to I, me that's what it's all about seeing others getting that success to me was just more fulfilling than getting it myself I have to say yeah I, I totally agree with that and let me just say congratulations on that journey I mean seven time world champs um, I went back and looked at some of your videos. God damn boy, you can play that drum. So <laughs> to anyone that is listening, James Lachlan on YouTube, there is tons of videos of this man smashing the shit out of a drum in a good way. <laughs> and I don't even know, like, it's so quick, you can't even see the, you know, you can't even see the movements and everything, but it sounds amazing and congratulations. And it's awesome to see that you wanted to take something that you've learned and dedicated 10 years or 15 years of your life and passing it on, not just, in the sense of passing on to adults of focus and dedication, what you're doing from your uh, the day job and the coaching that, but giving it to the youth of today's life where there's so much noise and so much other areas of trying to get the attention to go, let's take you something down to that's important in certain cultures in the world. And it's a skill and it's hard work and it can get you in front of a wider audience, but it might not get you socially famous, but it will give you dedication and, you know, grounding as well. 100%. And I think that's like, I think that's really important once today because um, delayed gratification is one thing that a lot of kids mm -hmm. um, don't understand. Yeah. And a lot of parents are, you know, give, give, give and spoiling these kids. And I, I think we have a pandemic on our hands and the answer is not taking away the technology. The answer is not cutting them off from, mm -hmm. you know, TikTok and Twitter and all that stuff. That's just madness because that is the future of where they're Correct. headed. Totally agree. But I think the positive things that parents could be doing is instilling boundaries, creating, you know, creating boundaries and enforcing them. So many parents will create boundaries and not enforce them. And I, th I think, you know, in the last 15 years uh, in this small community, I've known 10 kids who've taken their own lives. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and each time that happens, that's like earth shattering for myself, for the community, mm -hmm. for the parents, for everyone. And I look around at my community here in New Zealand is no different than in Christchurch, I should say. Yep. Absolutely. It's crazy. So we've got like the worst statistics on suicide on yep. the OECD. In the world. Yep. Yeah, it's nuts. And we've got the worst statistics on domestic violence and on um, child mortality. We're like mm -hmm. third in the world for that. So that stuff I'm passionate about. That stuff yep. I'm like, what can I do? Will it take me 50 years, 60 years, 70 years to make an impact? I don't care how long it takes, but I want to try through my work and through what I'm doing with the book to really try and make some change and affect some change. Yeah, totally. I, I spoke about a lot on a, a couple of episodes with Gareth Edwards, who was previously on that did um, the 24 hour tire flip for the John Kerwin Foundation. We spoke about mental health. He did everything about around the mental health and we went through it in quite in depth and saying, people don't realize as much as people look at the likes of New Zealand and Australia on the other side of the world and beautiful country and opportunity and you don't have as much you would say perceived, you know, come from South Africa, there's not so much violence and all that. Mm. There's underlying problems for a very small community. I mean, we, they're expecting us to hit 5 million in all of New Zealand next year. For a very small community, we have some 
large underlying problems, mental health, child suicide, um, abuse uh, in kids as well. And it's something that we have to pay attention to now because it's only unfortunately going to get worse because the way, as you said, the technology we have today leads into those negative, aggressive, abusive, uh, bullying culture. So we've got to teach our kids today of what it is, how to handle. It's crazy to think I've been talking to some parents about how to teach kids at 12 and 30 to handle stress and oh. handle anxiety. And it's like, you know, it's words you never think you'd put with a kid of anxiety and depression and stress. And it's like, it's so hard as a parent to think that, you know, my, my daughter would be in that age in a few years time going, do I really, do I really want that to be on her? And how can we change it that not just her, but her friends and anyone in that circle will not have to worry about depression, anxiety, and stress and all that. I mean, they got their life and they've just got a, problems about being a kid to worry about. 100%. And, uh, and it's definitely something I'm trying to pay attention to. Everyone I'm talking to and contacting and seeing what we can do and help out as well. So by all means, thank you for what you're doing in that community, in that space and everything, because we need people, more people to stand up more kids to stand up that have been through it to speak up. We need more adults to speak up that have seen the challenges and come out and say, I'm vulnerable or I need help. Please help me. And there'll be so many people that are out there that will give their time or talk and say, let's support each other through it because we've got to start knocking this whole bullshit crap about this tall poppy syndrome that in New Zealand and Australia and in the rest of the world has it that people don't want to stand up because the perception of how it'll be seen by someone else and judgment and, and negativity as well. 100%. Like you're hitting the nail on the head. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I've worked in an educational establishment for a long time and I see the great benefits, so the amazing things that a great school can do. Mm -hmm. um, but schools have limitations, right? Correct. And that's where the parents got to step up and take ownership and responsibility of what their role is. And, you know, I spent some time. There's a great book. Actually, I've got it sitting here. Got a million notes on It's called The Boy Crisis. Cool. And written by Dr. Warren Farrell and co-authored with uh, Dr. John Gray. So John Gray wrote uh, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus way mm -hmm. back. Yep. So this guy, Dr. Warren Farrell, him and I got on Skype and chatted because the book blew me away. And he is the advisor to the White House for uh, boys and men's health. Yep. And what he was saying is like, look, yes, the world's changing. Yes, we've got more stressors, but you know, we don't have World War One. We don't yep. have World War Two. We have different stressors than people in previous generations have. He says, but what we do have uh, is a massive dad deprivation. Mm -hmm. And he said, a lot of kids are dad deprived. And so dads are not spending the time with their kids at the younger stages. Yep. And we started chatting about also just dealing with stress and kids at two and three years old can learn to understand stress and manage it at that stage mm -hmm. through modeling. And we are very much, you know, do as I say, um, yeah. you know, eat your dinner or yeah. you're not going to get ice cream or go to bed now, mm -hmm. or we're not going to playground tomorrow after school. So there's always these like enforced, um, like repercussions, but what he was saying and what was really enlightening is that, you know, we can do that while we're, we're bigger than them. So we have physical, we're more physically yeah. developed than the small kid. We're more intellectually developed than the small kid. We're more spiritually and academically, everything more developed. So that's going to keep working, even with a bit of conflict. But they're going to get to 13, 14, be the same size, if not bigger than us, probably be on the same intellectual level as us. And they're going to start rebelling. And so people are like, 
why is my kid going to drugs? Why is my kid doing these crazy things? Why, why did a kid in our community kill themselves? Yeah. So, well, we need to start looking at what's happening at those toddler stages. And that's where like, if a dad's not present, then things start to go down a slippery slope. And dad's, Moms are great at um, establishing boundaries. Moms are great at the maternal stuff, the loving stuff. But a dad's natural role involves like enforcing the boundaries. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that's with physical enforcement. I mean, that's just creating the enforcement and using communication. You know, I, was on a, I was on a massive um, dad Facebook group recently. I love interacting with other dads. And one dad said, hey, um, hey guys, is it all good if we just you know, smack our kids around a little bit when they're <laughs> out of line. And I'm like, you, yeah, I'm like, are you freaking kidding, buddy? So um, all these dads were commenting and some were like, yeah, a bit of smacking doesn't do any harm. And, you know, I reflect back on my childhood. My dad was incredible. My grandfather was incredible. I was so freaking lucky. But I had a few like smacks on the arse. That's for sure. I needed it, right? <laughs> well, I was a little shit. But um, what I feel like now is that we have much better education yep. around um, how to like, create leaders and our kids can be leaders but by doing that we got to learn to communicate with them rather than have this you know the smacking or the hitting and this group i went back and said hey guys i think smacking is okay if you have no communication skills you have no desire to learn to communicate with your child and you want to live in the dark ages and i would say like 30 to 40 percent of that group were like oh you know that's the kind of attitude if you want your kid to grow up to be a bitch and i thought wow just that language alone was saying a lot about some of these dads, but then the greater majority were coming in saying, look, this is the way we got to do it. We've got to learn to communicate, cut out the aggression. And then the greater majority were attacking these like trolls who were saying, you know, you know, man up and smack your kid. I just couldn't believe it. And we wonder why we've got domestic violence issues of a kid gets smacked. And then they relate that with, okay, that's how we get results. That's how, you know, if somebody's not doing something we want, we hit them and they do as we say. Why do kids go and bully at preschool? Why do kids yep. then go into primary school and bully? Why do men then beat up their wives? And sometimes there's violence on the other way around, women to men, but it's more and more likely yep. that a man abuses a woman. That's just not acceptable. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's, it's part of the evolution. You spoke about the World War One, World War Two, and the evolution of life as we go. You know, if you look at instances of what was commonality 100 years ago to now, not just about raising kids, but the position of the role models of a male to female, the husband to the wife, wife stays at home and she look after the kids compared to where it is today. And, you know, the equality and everyone has their own rights to go do what they want. It's also about raising kids. I mean, I remember growing up back in South Africa and I went to the schools that I went to, there was still, we still got hide-ins and my parents signed off. If I was a naughty shit, smack him, you know? And by all means, I, I got those smacks. But also there's other things we've learned in that path as well. It's like smoking, for example, mm -hmm. and the health of things of drinking, smoking around kids and the impact and how we've learned to today. I mean, every one of my parents or in my generation's parents, they smoked around kids. They, you know, they, but because they didn't have that education at that stage. And now it's getting to the point of, hey, the previous generation, that was fine, but now we've got the education. Stop that shit, right? Yeah, totally. But you still see it in raising the kids, the drinking, the smoking, you know, and so forth around kids, around young kids, teenagers, and the role models of the, you know, us being the role models for the future. Still seeing it. I still see it today. Parents sitting in the car with their two or three year old in the front seat, and they are sitting there having a smoke, windows closed, a little bit open. I don't 
intervene because I know that unfortunately 90% of the time when I intervene, depending on what they say back, I might say the wrong thing. Yeah, that's right. And I think there could be a violence. Like yeah, and it's, it's like, and unfortunately, if they don't see it already at that stage, I'm not going to have a breakthrough with them at that moment, especially if someone has a kid around. A, a parent is very protective if they've got a kid around, especially if they're found vulnerable. So it's challenging when you see an adult doing something wrong in front of their child. You've got to sort of intervene them when they're alone and they don't, don't see that they will be seen as lesser in the eyes of the child. And that's the sort of times when you can talk about it. So, but it is definitely education around how to raise kids, how to bring up kids, um, to what is the tool sets we give today. And it's, uh, I think it's the first generation that is a drastic change from the previous generation. That you can't just bring them up through normally uh, non-socialising or less, more or less socialising. Can't you know? Some parents say don't give technology. Some parents say do give technology. I know you're a big fan of Gary V. I know you were on his podcast yep. for the NAC Auckland. You stood up and did a question. I was lucky enough. I was on last year's NAC podcast with the cool. question as well. And I know where he always said, and people asked him, "Do you give your kids the technology?" And he says, "150% totally," because if we don't give them the foundation of being a bit good kid, but also the technology of the future of what they're going to work towards, they're going to be found wanting when they're 20, 21, or even 18. I mean, like you said, the 14 and 15-year-olds today would know more than us right now because they're consumed in their space. I mean, social media, I struggle on a week-to-week, and I'm in that space to try and keep up, but these kids can just consume all of that, and that's where if we keep throwing them good shit, honest stuff, learnings, um, ways to improve them, they will always step up. 100%. Like, I think that's so valid. And, you know, I think about the whole technology realm and social media, like, that is such a positive thing, because it is connecting people. And I know mm-hmm. that, you know, I've got friends in their 50s and 60s, and they're like, this social media stuff's crap. We're yep. sick of people doing it. It's not good. It's the end of the world. And I'm like, no, 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 guys, this is the future. And we need to embrace it. Like, yep. we need to learn how we embrace it, and how we help these kids, like navigate that. And I, I'm the first to admit, I'm far from the perfect dad, right? I yep. want to be the best dad I can be. And that's why I'm going out and reaching out to, you know, Sam Whitelock and Richie McCaw yep. and Stephen Fleming and Sir John Key. Like I'm reaching out to these people because I want to know, A, how did you become a great leader in your career? Mm-hmm. And B, how did you factor that in and also become a great dad and yeah, still yeah. be present? And that to me is gold. And we can learn from those people. And the guy, like I see, I seen someone yesterday in Christchurch. Uh, it, was, it was a woman and she was smoking in the car. She had like four kids in the car. And I'm like, oh my God, looks like you're giving them secondhand smoke. They're going to get cancer because of you possibly. Yeah. It's just nuts. But I think I can't change her, like just what you said. Yeah. But I think the change starts with the next generation. And so mm-hmm. I guess the book that I'm working on right now for me, is the very foundational like aspect of that. And I think getting that to the new dads or dads-to-be or some dads who are interested in leveling up their dadhood, that's the beginning. And then hopefully their actions will start to impact their children, which mm-hmm. will then impact the next generation of parents. And that's I think it's a generational thing. It might take 40, 50, 60 years, yep. but good things take time, right? Totally. And it's, but it's, you know, putting in the right stepping stones now to do that. And there's definitely enough people that stand enough to do that. And we're lucky enough that as much as we've got the big challenges for a small country, being a small community, if we get the right rallying and the right support behind it, we can evolve and change. And that's why New Zealand was always the first in the world. 
was always the first in in changing the rules and the and the, the female vote and you know and banning certain things because when we stand together correctly we can make the change and we can stand as a country it doesn't matter how big or small we are compared to the rest of the country we are still seen as a country and we are a country right and we are a high power in fight above our weight sort of country so if we can show the way to do it others will follow and definitely firstly our neighbors australia and then it starts trickling on further and further and there onto the western world as well but um that's great so talk me through you saying your book we spoke about a bit your book's coming out in the next few months you obviously went and you've mentioned a whole lot of names that you went and interviewed uh went and saw discussed on uh, learning points what was where was the start point and the reasons behind the book itself so with the book, so up until my son came along, just probably about, yeah, about three months before he came along, I was very committed to competing in my drumming field. So I was competing at a, like a high level at the world championships, you know, four nights a week, I was busy, you know, majority of weekends I was committed to, it. I was traveling overseas lots and I'd done that for my whole life. And I thought, well, Hey, that's great. You know, I've got my kicks out of that, but do I want to be that dad? Do I want to be the dad that's like, hey, son, I can't come to your like theater yep. production tonight. Dude, I can't come to your soccer match or I guess in this country rugby match <laughs> on Saturday morning because I'm drumming. I'm doing my thing. I do not want to be that dad. I've had my fulfillment yep. and I thought, okay, this is my opportunity for a whole new life. So I was 30 years old when my little boy came along. He's now three and a half. And that moment I met him was the most emotional moment. And I'll never forget, you know, we had some trouble actually getting pregnant. And um, so we went ahead along to get our first scan, um, maybe 2014 it was. And I'll never forget the moment that um, the radiographer said, hey, we can't detect your child's heartbeat. Damn. And um, for me, like, I feel like I'm tearing up just like- Yeah, I can hear on you. But um, I guess for me, it was a life-changing moment in a lot of ways. And I really learned that, you know, we can't control our lives at all. Mm -hmm. And as a man, that's one of the biggest things we want to do. I guess we want to fix things really quickly and keep things moving forward. And at that moment, I realized I was helpless and I couldn't help my wife. I could just give her the love and support. I couldn't help this little baby. Um, and it was devastating. But at that point, I decided, you know, I need to get the best coach I can find yeah. to really help me understand my mindset and choose to respond in a way that's going to help us move forward and build our family. And so within a couple of years, um, we got pregnant again. And um, that moment I met Finn um, was incredible. Uh, I remember him just laying there and looking into his eyes and uh, saying, hey, Finn, I love you. And he looked up, you know, at, you know, zero days old, <laughs> looked up, and that was an incredible feeling. I held him on my bare chest. And from that moment, I committed to myself that I would be the dad that will learn every day, that will say sorry when he screws up, that will try and learn to, like, give this boy the life yeah. that he deserves and, you know, encourage him to work hard. So within, like, two or three months, I resigned fully. I retired from competing. And most people compete until their 60s. You know, maybe some even to their 70s. So a lot of my counterparts around the world were like, what are you doing? You're crazy. Yep. Like, this is, you're taking a year off. That's all you're doing. It's like, no, this is a retirement. I'm done. This is where I need to focus. It's on yep. my family. And, you know, I'm three and a half years in, and I'm, there's no desire to go back to that life ever. And there's lots of things I loved about it, and so many great connections. I met my wife through that and everything. But 
this is where I wanted to head. So a great friend of mine, actually, he started off as a random phone call. This guy rang me up. He says, hey, James, Chalky here. I says, I'd never heard of anybody called Chalky. I said, hey, Chalky. Um, he says, hey, um, I'm one of Jenks's friends. And I said, oh, yeah, no, I, I teach, I teach uh, Jenks' son um, some drums. He yeah. said, yeah, that's why I'm ringing. My son, Josh, wants to get into drums. Would you teach him? I said, oh, yeah, that, that sounds good. He said, can we meet for a coffee beforehand? I thought, whoa, no parent in my, like, 20 years of teaching has ever said, can we meet for a coffee before you start teaching? I was like, yep, this sounds great. I like this guy already. He's interested in his kid, right? So this British guy, larger than life, comes into the cafe and um, sit down and chat. And I said, hi, I'm James. I'm Chalky. He says, tell me a bit about your Chalky. He said, oh, well, from Britain. I was in the, the, the army in Britain. And I now work with the All Blacks. I said, like, oh, cool. Tell me more about that. <laughs> so he was the logistics manager with the All Blacks. Oh, cool. And he told me what he did there, how he did it. And I was like, wow, that's fascinating. Like, so cool. And... We started talking about his son, and I says, look, what's the meeting all about? Like, let, let's chat. He's like, well, look, honestly, I want to know how I can support you, support him. <laughs> and like, instantly, I was like, dude, this dad is intentional. Yeah. He wants to give his son the best. He's like, James, if he needs to work hard, great. I'll encourage him to do that. I don't want any special treatment, any magic tricks. Like, just tell us what we need to do to support him on this journey. And tell us where this journey will take him, like with, you know, culture and with discipline. I thought that is so epic. So I says, look, Chucky, I'm actually working on a project. And what inspired me to work on this book is the fact that our beautiful little country has, you know, suicide rates, teenage yeah. suicide rates like nowhere has ever seen before. And if there's one thing I want to do, is I want to understand why. And I want to help selfishly mm -hmm. my son navigate that really tricky point. You know, he's at that point when Chucky and I chatted, uh, my son was, you know, a couple months old yep. so you know 12 or 13 years to figure it out but i want to do everything and know that i've done everything to understand it and to give him the tools emotionally and socially and you know physically all those things so that my son can actually live a life that's on his terms with purpose mm -hmm. so i said look chucky could you do me a favor could you think of some people that are great dads that i could chat to including yourself that might help me with this project and right away he was like I'll organize this next week. He's like, Izzy Dag, Sam Whitelock, um, <laughs> Wyatt Crockett. And I was like, oh my God. He's like, I'll see you next week. And I'm like absolutely packing myself, yeah. sitting down in a coffee shop with these guys. Yeah. But it was brilliant. They were so down to earth, epic guys, wanting to share a story, wanting to make a difference. Uh, I mean, the one thing that strikes me about the All Blacks compared to maybe some other rugby teams is that they're very humble yeah. and totally. very community focused. Like if they want to do something in their small community, they'll do it. So I started connecting with these guys, getting great interviews. And um, to make the story slightly more complex, um, Chalky um, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and very young man, you know, he's maybe only 10 years older than me. And he got two young boys, a beautiful wife. And sadly he did pass away um, just a few years ago. And before he did, I says, look, my commitment, is to get this book out and I'm going to dedicate this book to you, my man, because you are a salt of the earth, down to, you know, down to earth guy. And he's got an amazing foundation. It's called the Chalky Car Trust. And he set it up before, before he passed away. He, he discovered there was a little girl called Isla who'd lost her mother to cancer. So she had no parents and he decided he wanted to raise a hundred thousand dollars as a nest egg for her, yep. which he did in like a few months and then built that trust. So part of my book, is inspired by Chalky and the end product I hope is just something that 
people can look at these amazing individuals who have shared their stories, you know, people from all over the world, all walks yeah. of life, politics, business, sport, learn from them and think what is one or two things I can implement and pass on to other fellow dads. Yeah, that's amazing. It's an amazing story, James. And, you know, of meeting Chucky that that random um him giving you a call and then him saying the right thing to you to trigger something in your mind going, yes, I want to see it further. Cause you could have turned around and said, Hey Chuck, I'm a bit busy. Can't do the coffee catch up and path would have gone a total different way. Right. And, totally. it's, and, and it's, and it's taking those opportunities and listening to the world and what's around you to take it. And also on what you said before of meeting those all blacks, one thing not to get into sport itself, but one thing I think is a different part of the culture is why People, you know, All Blacks, rugby, it's rugby World Cup time at the moment. We 22 days or 23 days from the final. Like to be an All Blacks Springbok final, hopefully. I'm hoping Ireland All Blacks. <laughs> <laughs> so, but they've always asked why, what makes the All Blacks different just from being world champions in the top. But I think it comes down to that humbleness, that openness. Like the example, Richie McCall, Dan Carter, those guys, as much as when they're on the field, they're the best in the world. When they're off the field, they're just someone normal. You know, if and in our community of New Zealand, we also don't go overzealous or over crazy for our celebrities. Mm. We respect them as an individual. So, I mean, I've been at an event when John was sorry, Sir John Key was there. Um, I was at um, the National Champions for Baseball, and I played. He threw out the first pitch. We had the likes of David Tour there as well, and we had and everyone just went over nicely. No one stampeded or went crazy anything because that's part of the culture. We all we all one community. If you went to America or in any of the larger countries over there and you had any just top sports star walk down the road, you would get you know, swamped with people. But it doesn't I mean it doesn't give you that opportunity to be able to sit down with them and learn from their skills. But it also mm-hmm. brings to the point of we're in a country where we, sh- we should tell people to have the courage to stand towards a guy or girl, an influencer or non-influencer, a mom or dad or someone in the business going, hey, can I have five minutes of your time? Can I have five minutes of time because I'd like to learn how you do these certain things. I'd like to learn how you overcame these challenges and have that. And you'll find that majority of the time if it comes from an honest and humble questioning, that person will turn around and say, if I can fit you in my schedule, by all means, we'll do it. And, and, and I'm trying to teach a lot of people with I'm going on. My podcast is fundamentally like that. Every single person I've had on the show, everyone other than two out of 20 episodes, I did not know six months ago. Wow. And, I've built up a, and I've built up a relationship and I know I've got great friends with all of them now, but all of that was me reaching out and going, this is what I want to do. Same as you do with the book, talk to them, get the information and then build that relation and that foundation forward. 100%. And I think like you talked about this earlier, um, about the tall poppy syndrome yep. and um, Richie McCaw talked about that. Um, so he said, you know, like when you're successful, uh, it seems to be that some countries, including New Zealand, have this thing, well, hey, stop being so successful. I want to cut you down. Yep. And, you know, if you're celebrating your success, hey, just don't over-celebrate. You know, just, like, be humble with your celebrations. And he says, James, look, when stuff like that happened to me, he says it just drove me to mm-hmm. more success. It wanted me to be more success, do it with more conviction. And I think, you know, I, when I'm coaching individuals, whether they're CEOs or entrepreneurs, they're real estate agents, they're stay-at-home moms and dads, whatever, yep. the big thing I say to them is, like, be humble, which Kiwis are great at doing. But for, for goodness sake, whatever you do, don't be humble when you're dreaming. You've got to dream big. You yeah. know, don't have small dreams. Like That's how, if you look at like the Steve Jobs, the Richard Bransons, the Tony Robbins, all, uh, the Gary V's, 
all those guys, if they dreamed small, we wouldn't have the technology, the iPhones, the, um, the, the communication, the travel. So I think for Kiwis, Kiwis are small, but they punch above their weight in every sport, in every yep. part of business. We have to encourage kids and adults to dream bigger and to talk about it. Don't be afraid to get on your socials and say, hey, I'm planning to do this. You know, and a lot of, I've, I've had some people say, hey, James, I know you're trying to impact like a million people, but do you want to just like keep that under the radar? I was like, no, I actually don't because how the hell can I impact them by keeping yep. that under the radar? Yep. You know, hey, James, I know you interviewed like, you know, probably one of the greatest leaders New Zealand's ever had, but like, you know, in New Zealand, we don't really talk about that stuff. I was like, well, hey, if you want me to not talk about it, I'm going to make no impact and we can keep our suicide rates. We can keep our domestic violence rates. We can celebrate those terrible things or we can step up and start changing things. So I'm a big advocate in just getting out there, putting yourself out there, taking shit from people. If people want to give you yep. shit, take it. It's their shit. They can deal with it and move on. It's, I totally agree with that. And as you said, Rambo, there's names, you know, you were at NAC Auckland this year. Grant Cardone fundamentally talks about why look at someone that's five steps ahead of you when you can dream about someone that's 10 steps ahead of you, financially, success, whatever, it doesn't matter, but it's just fundamentally looking at those levels. And I totally agree about coming out and saying what you're trying to communicate and what you're trying to achieve and what you've done that so people can see it. And it is breaking through the culture of me coming out or you coming out and said, yeah, I'd interviewed Sir John Key last week or Stephen Fleming and that. It's not gloating, but it's providing insight and content for people that want to do the message. Because if anyone goes on your social medias and sees when you post it, it's not a photo of you and the person going, hey, I met this guy next week. I'm super cool. It's, hi, I met this guy last week and here's everything I picked from him. And here's all the learnings from him that he is offering to other people. So you're providing that insight. It's not just like trying to be in a fake social media influence going, hey, I'm a photo with this person. I'm a photo with this person. And there's no underlying message with it. And that's the difference of what you're trying to achieve and what the right people are trying to achieve and how they communicate the stuff. Anyone can go out, as I said, is it's easy to find what we call our celebrities in New Zealand and just get photos with them and post it up and have no real quality insight. And again, I would say 10 years ago, there was me. I did that. I was that person. I wanted to go, oh, look, I'm cool. But with me now, I won't do that because oh, if I get a photo or with someone, I'll make sure that there's a message behind it or I'll make sure that I've had a message between me and that person. So when I communicate it, he will back me up or she will back me up on that message as well and, and, just it and give those people the right stuff. I think it's so important. Uh, I've been the same. You know, I remember going through LA airport and seeing, I know some celebrity actress, like, oh, I better get a photo with her. There was no point. It was like, I just did it just to like for a moment. Yep. But with this stuff, I'm very strategic about who I want to connect with. Mm -hmm. And I'm very aware that, you know, time is precious. You know, a lot of my clients, we work on time, concept of time, use of time. So, for me, it's about getting the right individual that really resonates with what I'm doing. And, you know, having, I've got Gary Vee as part of the book. I've been able to get a few questions uh, to Gary Vee. Another guy who's incredibly, um, like I resonate with is Casey Neistat. Mm -hmm. So he's an incredible influencer from North America. And it's, you know, people that have a, the right fit are the right important people I want to connect with. And, yep. you know, I've connected with uh, some moms as well, but it's mostly dads because I feel like dads have the most work to do to improve and I think when they do this work me included then I think the impact is going to be freaking amazing like if we can really you know get more in touch with our spiritual side understand that physical health is so freaking important yep. nutrition is important I sat down with um, Hector Matthews so he's the Canterbury District Health Board CDHB mm -hmm. um, Pacific and Maori 
minister. So he's, the, he's in charge of Pacific and, and Maori health. So I sat down with him, a beautiful man with incredible insights to Maori history and how it all fits together, but also around health. So I said, look, why is it that in most countries that, so say New Zealand, we've got Maori, um, Australia, Aboriginal, Canada, First Nations. Why is it in those countries that suicide rates, depression rates, etc., are highest among the ethnic minorities and mm -hmm. the Aboriginal people Aboriginal, of the country? Yep. The, the, and he says, well, look, let's look at it. He says, James, the connection that people don't make is like mental health just gets, oh my goodness, that person's just like got a bit of mental health stuff. It just came up. Well, actually, no. He feels like it can stem right back to nutrition. And he says, right from the get-go, kids are not getting the right nutrition. And he says, a lot of the like ethnic minorities and the original people of the country are the poorer people mm -hmm. and they can't access vegetables. You know, vegetables are so expensive, so is fruit, but you know, fizzy drink is cheap. Cheap, yep. You know, sh sugary shit is cheap. Fish and chips. Chocolate is cheap. Fish and chips. <laughs> McDonald's. All the crap yeah. that we don't want to feed our kids. And he says it's all reversed. So he says, James, if the government of New Zealand could start by reversing it and making vegetables and fruits super cheap and then really like taxing heavily on the fizzy stuff, then the poorer people still have to spend their money, but they won't be able to afford the fizzy crap and all that stuff. They yeah. will be able to afford the vegetables. And that, I'm a big believer in that because he talks about just at a chemical level when you're putting crap in, you know, from zero years old. And by the time you reach 30, maybe before that, in your teens, when your hormones are nuts, you don't have the, the goodness and nutrition to help your brain function and develop properly. And that's why with the prefrontal cortex, it's not getting what it needs. Mm -hmm. And when things are going crazy at the teen stage, then that's when people are committing suicide or having major depression. And so I find that was powerful. And to think that as a dad, we can make a big difference just by making a slight change on what we do with nutrition. You know, it's, it's just amazing. Totally agree with that um, on the nutrition. I mean, you, you see it in kids, um, young kids, old kids of just go, just go on a Saturday on the sports field and just pay attention to the kids, not necessarily pay attention to the kids of which kid's good or which kid's bad, but look at a 30-minute session where it is soccer, cricket, rugby, netball, whatever it is, and look 20, 30 minutes in, and you have a certain percentage of kids. Again, it's not about quality, how good they are. You see a certain amount of kids that are still running, trying their best, and a certain amount of kids that are just already puffed out and just can't keep up. And it's not about it's the skinny kids and the large kids. The large kids. In our in our, a lot of in our community, when you – we see a lot of the, the island nation bloods that come through most of our all blacks, the heritage um, uh, from the Maori or the Pacific nations. And these guys just smash the shit out of everyone, right? With the, with the right health and the right diet and that sort of stuff. But again, you, you can pick it up from the kid that's not got the right nutrition, irrespective of the, the upbringing that, and they get, they get left behind. And that's just on the sports field. So definitely on the evolution of their life, the smarts of their system, their brain, their functioning and everything else they're triggering will definitely be left, be left behind. And unfortunately, by the time you're 20, you can't go back. You can't, trigger, you can't trigger evolution through your life historically. You can't go back to the past and go, I'm going to eat cucumbers and capsicum and salads every day of my life. I'm one of those people, right? I only started eating veggies in my late mid-20s when I, when I met my wife or when she forced me to eat veggies being a South African. We eat meat and potatoes. Totally. Hey, Ireland was the same. Like, we yeah. are the home of potatoes, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the sort of thing. So, unfortunately, but where I force that onto our kids now, you know, you've got to have those veggies, you've got to have that health. I mean, by all means, 
have the enjoyment when the enjoyment's there, but pay attention to the dietary needs because it does directly relate to how they function on a day-to-day basis at school, at sports, and how much they can consume and everything else. 100%. And like, I think about you know, a lot of my clients, and they want, they want uh, financial freedom. They want uh, great physical health. They want to leave legacies for their kids and their families. And I always say, okay, are you taking your meds? And they're like, well, what do you mean? I was like, meds is so important. So M, you know, are you doing meditation every single day? I'm like, uh, no, that's that woo-woo stuff. Why would I do that? <laughs> okay, well, we're going to look at that. Yeah. Are you exercising a little bit every single day? Mm-hmm. Here's the E. D, what is your diet? Is it like 80% plant-based, water-based stuff? Or is it processed crap? Let's look yeah. at that. And last but not least important sleep. is sleep. Yeah. Totally. So we look at all those and then I'll say, okay, out of 10 right now, 10 being you're an epic meditator, where are you? Like, oh, I'm a one out of 10. Okay, where would you like to be? Oh, I'd like to be a nine. Okay, we'll go through and look at that. And the one that's the worst, that the biggest gap, yep. I'll be, okay, that's this month's focus. So that's this yeah. quarter's focus. And we're going to work on that. But nutrition tends to be the big one. Nutrition and exercise tend to be the big one for people. Time and money. It's time totally. and money, right? And time and money is one of the biggest things we can't necessarily change in an instant. We can't give ourselves more time a day. In, you can, but you can't just naturally give yourself three or four hours a day. And you can't earn more money instantly in a day. But it's the perception and understanding of what time you can do in a short period of time and what you can do with less amount of money. And it's just breaking through those perceptions and teaching people those tricks definitely. And I definitely love the meds um, analogy you put in there. Take your meds. (laughs) Take your meds. I'm so going to cut that that, that piece out and um, do a good share for for your brand on that one. I love that out. So. Thank you. Qu- question I've been thinking about in the last 20 minutes, and I know it's going to be put you on the spot, and I'm sure you've gotten it before. That's all good. <laughs> and, I, and I know my audience, I've got a luck that on all my social media and all my content I put out there, I've got a 49 to 51% share split wow. between male and female. I've got a very good down the middle. Um, That's amazing. So I am going to get this question, and I'm going to get this question about your brand. Everything yep. you say at the moment is male based. It is about the dads, the dad's part of helping the kids. What, how do you answer the challenges, especially in New Zealand at the moment where we're big on equality and female rights of, wh- wh- how do you overcome a mom coming to you and go, I'm a single mom and everything you're saying at the moment is related to the dad that's not necessarily in my kid's life. So what you provided me doesn't offer me insight because it's either sexist or you're not saying, hey, the mom can do it as well. How do you overcome that discussion that's great great question so look from my end so if i look at um so first of all my business so you know results and leadership coaching about 60 percent of my clients are female Mm -hmm. and so i um work with some are stay-at-home moms some are professional moms um some are athletes um so i do have a bit of a split and it's it's kind of hanging towards the the females a little bit more than the males um with the book so my feeling on the book is that I think that men are the problem. And mm-hmm. that's why I really think we need to focus on what men can do to really level up. And it's quite interesting because I feel like a lot of men don't go out and buy books. Yeah, there's probably people like yourself and like high achievers yep. that do, you know, leaders and readers, readers and leaders. Yep. So some people go out and buy them, but the majority of the men don't buy books. So I actually feel that my book um, will be bought by women for men. Especially, especially if the title is men are the problem. 
Totally. Hey, that could be the title of the book. And if any there of your followers go. have any ideas for book titles, I'll take them. <laughs> I like that Definitely. men are the problem. Men are the problems. Men are the problems. And I'm sure every female will buy that for their husband or their partner and go, this just proves my point. <laughs> I'm going to write that down. So um, that's brilliant. So I really feel like um, men are the ones that have got to do the work. And I think that the feminist movement, so my wife, Lisa, is a powerhouse and she is so focused on, you know, personal development, on mm -hmm. being independent, but she's also realistic. Like, like James, I think strong women, Elena, Elena Cardone, so Grant Cardone's wife said this yep. as well. She's like, I think to become dependent on a man is so healthy mm -hmm. and then springboard from that, learn what you need to learn from him if there's things to be learned and then springboard to absolute independence. And it doesn't mean that you need to ditch him, but if you do, that's cool too. But um, <laughs> if he's not the right guy, but um, you know, you, having dependence on a man is a beautiful thing if he's a great man. Mm -hmm. And that can lead women to be even more independent. And I just feel that for things to become truly equal in the world, um, I think men have a lot of work to do. And you know, I think around our health, around our mindsets, um, around our behaviors, around our aggression, you know, men are, 30, 40, 50% more likely to respond aggressively Correct. to a trigger. And that's not acceptable. And, and I know that people say, well, that's our biological thing that we have. Yeah, but we've got education around exercising. So Ronan O'Gara, who's probably Ireland's best ever player, him and Brian O'Driscoll arguably yeah. the best players ever. I sat down with a cup of tea here in Christchurch with Ronan O'Gara when he was coaching the Canterbury Crusaders and talked about you know, his experiences. And he's an amazing guy. And he said, James, when I was coaching, I think it was a French team, when I was coaching a French team and they had a really bad game, I had to go and do a debrief. He said, sometimes I get so angry, I just wanted to go wild, like right mm -hmm. in their faces. And he says, but inside I knew that wasn't right. And so I know what works for me and that's exercise. He says, so I'd go for like a 20 minute sprint and I'd go wild for 20 minutes and just sprint, then come and do the debrief. And he says, that pause created a totally different environment and space and I was a totally different guy and I think as a, a man I think we could all learn from that like we do need outlets because yeah. we have we have a valve and at some point it's going to explode if we don't just gently release that pressure um, so like not to diverge from your your um, your question <laughs> but certainly I think the book is directed at dads um, and for me I feel like it's to help women become you know more free women yep. to become more independent women to have better support women to have better lovers women to have like better like dads women to have you know better grandchildren because the dad is like actually truly stepping up and improving and as i say i will admit again i'm not the perfect dad mm -hmm. but i'm a dad that wants to get better i'm a dad that's committed to learning committed to saying hey i screwed up like yep. I did I, I raised my voice there. I should have just paused. I should have just chilled. I need to set the example. And again, I think we mentioned it earlier. Kids don't do as we say, they do as we do. Yeah. And that's the big thing. The book is all focused on okay, what as dads can we do? And I think, you know, I've got um two editors in mind for the book, and they're both female. And I said to Lisa, I want a female editor because they're gonna have a totally different perspective and they may be able to say, look, you need to add this, you need to cut this. Mm -hmm. But I think it's really important to have that balance. And I think the book is as much for women as it is for men. And obviously men will take the, the real applicable lessons from that and hopefully implement them. But women might also read it because their husband doesn't read and be like, oh, that was amazing what Sir John Key said, or yep. that's amazing what like the top 
sports star from North America said, I might just drop that in conversation when we're having a wine tomorrow night and just see mm -hmm. if the husband can like take it on board. Yep. So I do think that the book will be directed at both. And um, yes, yeah, certainly from my coaching standpoint, I've got yeah, a little bit more women than I do have men. Great, great answer. Um, I asked the question because I could see that my, my understanding was I was going to get asked that when I, when I released the audio and the podcast and YouTube. And unfortunately, like I said, is we are in New Zealand where we push, we're one of the countries that push, well, in the community, we try and push equality the most. So I do see challenges. I've had previous uh, um, people on the show that their whole models around one sex or the other. And they, and not just single instance, but their whole model. And unfortunately, I've seen um, examples in their social media where people get, get a bit nasty, either side, male or female, because why, why are you cutting one off? And it, it is that world, right? And you got, we've got to allow, as much as we want equality, we've got to allow people who want to educate in a certain sector if they want to, if they feel they can bring up the male or female or whichever way it goes in that space or the middle ground, which is quite fluid at the moment, between male and female. And we've got to allow the person to do that. It's not that you go now to say, I want to make male better and keep them one-sided and not allow equality. It's just that you want to ensure that I want to improve the male to give a better equality between both and give the, the generations a better understanding so that the male steps up his game and then it's equal between male and female by parenting, respect, education, control that the kids of the next generation are better, better kids themselves, better adults, better leaders um, for our community and they have a better understanding. Totally. I think that's beautiful. And, um, you know, I always think about ideologies and um, how they don't work fundamentally. Mm -hmm. I think when, so say a, a masculine, let's be masculinists or let's be, um, you know, have men's movements. I actually think that's just bullshit. And mm -hmm. I think it doesn't work. When you try to like take any part of society, whether it's males when removing females, whether it's black versus white, whether it's whatever, mm -hmm. That doesn't work. And I think, you know, when we think about we, we should be the, the term we use when we're trying to have any kind of impact on the world. Because when you have an impact just on a small section, you want to just do it for yourself. Yep. That's going to have some negative impact on somebody else. And so I think like when we can think about how is the movement about we, you know, it's us. Here in Christchurch, we had that terrible uh, terrorist attack. Yep. And what I witnessed after that was absolutely fucking beautiful. Mm -hmm. The whole community came together and embraced all religions. And, you know, I think the slogan was, they are us. Yeah. And, you know, saying that it doesn't matter if you're Christian, Muslim, black, white, male, female, whatever you are in between, we're all the freaking same. We've yep. all been given this one life. We're here to crush it. Some of us are up every day wanting to do that. Others, small minority, Focus on the negative, focus mm. on the gossip, focus on the trolling online. And you know what? We've got to just say they're going to do that. Let's focus on us and building us. Because you know, when those people that are doing the, the tearing down and the splitting up and the ideologies and the feminism versus masculinism and all this stuff, when people are tearing others down, they're certainly not building themselves up. Correct. And that's just how it is. If you tear people down, it doesn't make you any bigger. I think when you edify people and build them up, you also build yourself up. You know, it says a lot about your person. Yeah, there, there was a saying I heard um, a couple of years ago, and it was about when you survive and you can't dream, right? So if you're surviving in life, you cannot actually dream. So the same sense of if I'm negative in life, it doesn't allow me to dream 
or think forward ahead about it. And, it's, and just correlates to what you said at the moment that by them being negative and everything else, it doesn't allow for anything for, um, in front of you or to change your life because you, you keep on in that space. You're not breaking away. 100%. But, uh, but um, to end it off today, is there anything you want to leave the listeners with today before we end off the show? Any last insights or message you want to send to them? You know, Lawrence, I just want to thank you um, for inviting me on. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I guess for everyone, it's like walk your own walk. And, you know, you're here on earth. You've got one opportunity, and that's a freaking blessing. And every day I'm real about the fact that I will die at some point. I have no freaking idea when that will be. And when I die, I'm done. And I don't know what's after that. And some people can tell me there's this and there's that. I have no idea. There's no certainty, right? What I do know is certain that is right now is, is real and I'm here. And so is everyone else. When you're thinking and you're listening to this podcast, you're watching this, this moment is real. So take it and grasp it. And don't let anybody push you off your path. If you want to be a billionaire, go for it. And if somebody says, don't forget, you know, you came from a small town. Like, yeah, I'll never forget where I came from. It doesn't yeah. mean I have to live there forever. So I think it's important just to really be here present in the moment. Dream freaking big and get great people around you i keep sending people do you have a superhero squad that's the first thing i'll ask people when they want to level up like what do you mean who are you hanging about with you know and i think tony robbins gary v say proximity is power yep. they've got different terms for it but get yourself around great people and that's why for me you know a number of years ago i got a coach because coaching gets results and a lot of people are like why'd you get a coach are you nuts like is something up you know what, what's going on I said no i've got big things that i need to achieve and i need someone to kick my ass and keep me accountable so do what you got to do whether that's getting around good people reading books getting a coach listening to podcasts like this do what you got to do to be present and just live your best life yep totally um as you said gary tony all talks about it the five closest people to you are the five closest people that you mold your life to so just think about that when you're thinking of what you're trying to achieve and the five people that you bounce off on from here forward. And if you look at them and go, if I want to do a business, but three of these people cannot offer me business inside of quality or understanding, why are they in that group? But totally, that's, a, that's another discussion when we have your book out live, hopefully uh, in some period and sense. But James, before we end it off, can you please write your social handles or where everyone can find you as well? Yeah, absolutely. So if you're on Instagram, it is James Lachlan Official, and that's Lachlan is spelled Laughlin, L-A-U-G-H-L-I-N. So James Lachlan Official on Instagram. And on Facebook, it's just go facebook.com and then JJ Lachlan. And um, I'm just about to launch a new website in the next two weeks, and that will be, I just need to remember the new name of the title. <laughs> it, it, that's a good one. It's jjlachlan.com. I better not get that wrong. So it's jjlachlan.com. Don't worry, I'll make sure that um, all your handles and socials are in any of the posts that I do anyway. And if you did make that mistake, I'll go back in, in two weeks' time. <laughs> we'll come back and retrospectively change those details anyway. And again, James, thank you so much for the opportunity um, coming on the show, for you coming on the show. And it's humbling to have you here and to hear your story. And for anyone that's listening, understanding of what you've been through, what you've learned, you're offering to others, how you're trying to take knowledge from some of the best people around and uh, providing it to the future, the dads and the dads of the future to bring our kids up in a better generation than what it is at the moment, to overcoming some challenges that are major in our country, specifically New Zealand and the rest of the world. Thank you so much, James. No, big thank you to you. My heart goes out to what you're doing for your mission uh, with your podcast. And I think people, if you can't get great people around you, just listen to Lawrence's podcast. That's a great person around you right there. 
Thank you so much, James. And to everyone else, thank again. Thank you again for listening on the audio or the YouTube series. You know to find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, um, under the Wolf or Queen Street. But anyway, till next time, have a beautiful day. Thank you so much. Cheers, guys.